Hello everyone, Marty here. Hope you are well. Welcome to the Good Vibes Show. I am happy to be here with you and I'm super happy uh, again today, as I am every day, to have all these amazing guests come and join me. And really, it's through the magic of TikTok. So I have to thank the app, TikTok, a little shout out to TikTok today um, for providing not only a platform where people can express themselves and they can support each other and they can uh, divulge their talents and they can share their story, but also providing an opportunity for guys like me who host a podcast to scout out, I guess, um, stories of real stories of real people out there in the world. And today is no exception to that. And to prove the genuinity of this show, my guest today has 600 followers on TikTok, not 730,000, not 1 million followers, not 100,000 followers. He has 600 followers. So I look for story. I look for humanity first and foremost, because that is what being real is all about. It really is. So my guest today is in Nevada, United States of America. His name is Michael Howard. And we got talking in the pre-show today. And I told Michael, I said, let's wait for the intro and let's get into your story right away when, when we start the show. because. He was already telling me too much and I wasn't recording yet. So I'm really excited to have you here, Michael. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm doing really well. Uh, it's, I'm glad I get to you know, have a place where I can talk about things and, and to uh, share what's happened and hopefully it'll you know, help someone else. And it's, uh, so I'm really glad that you reached out to me. Well, I'm glad that you, uh, that you answered. To the call because and i'm sure a lot of people after listening to the, today's show are going to be very very glad also because you've got quite an experience and i'd like to dive right into it right away if you don't mind how about sure. i ask you the first question michael which is usually my first question on every show every episode is who is michael howard and how what brought him to being here today with me alive and well well, uh, you told me to start from the beginning. Yeah, man. <laughs> Let's get into your story. Uh, um, it's, it's a good one in the sense of not a good one in the sense of what you've been through, but it's a good one in the sense of learning and, and to also the uh, improvements and development and breakthrough moments I think that you've had in your life so far that are helping you. Uh, gain confidence and move forward in life. Well, I know back in uh, started when I was I was a kid. My parents were um, they were high school sweethearts. They um, they fell in love in like tenth grade or something. They got married. Um, I didn't really notice anything about my father other than the fact that he was. Um, my mother would get really tense and really stressed when he was when it was time for him to come home. And I remember I didn't have a lot of interaction with him. There wasn't, um, there wasn't an abusive situation for me at that point. But uh, shortly after my parents, uh, I was four when mm -hmm. they got a divorce. I went to live with my mother. Um, we moved to a townhouse. 
um, shortly after that, um, my, well, my mother was a smoker and I wanted to be like my mom. So, you know, I snuck in, I got her cigarettes and her matches and didn't know what I was doing, dropped the matches on myself, turned into a Roman candle, basically caught my pajamas on fire, ran into her. Um, I ended up going to the hospital and the scary thing is because of what, what happened there and what I had done, she had met my first stepdad who was a big part of the abuse that I had gone through. Well, after I had come home from the hospital and was doing better, I, um, for some reason, one day I, I would go spend weekends with my father. And one day my mother dropped me off and it was Sunday. And I was like, mom, when, when is she going to come pick me up? Well, they had made an arrangement for me to stay. You weren't aware of that. No, I had no idea. I was, I was, it, it really messed with me because I was like, this isn't my routine. I don't stay here even though it was my father. And at that point, everything was fine with my dad, but I didn't know he was an alcoholic like my grandfather. And when it all started, we moved to a bigger house and I was spending a lot of time with my stepmother because she was home and I wasn't yet in school because I had gotten burned. I had started school a year late. So I was six years old in kindergarten. I didn't graduate until I was almost 19. Were you severely burnt? Like, are, are you? Yeah, it was all over my chest. Um, it burned all my hair off. Um, I've since had some surgery to remove some of them. But uh, they tried to do a skin graft. It didn't work. So I have a big scar on my leg. And it's, um, so it's, it's kind of, you know, lines. I look like a roadmap. Wow. So, um, so when I went to stay with, you know, we moved into the other house. And I was spending a lot of time with my stepmother and she would, it was weird how, when she would be mean to me, uh, like for instance, I'd be sitting in the car and I'm like, mom, I have to go to the bathroom and I would get in the house and she would see that I had dribbled on myself and she would take, you know, take my clothes off and she, she always took the buckle under the belt and she would do that. And then she would do it again because I would, you know, kind of mess on the chair but the thing that she started doing that was really bad was uh she called it a game we would get in the shower together and she would um she always thought it was funny where we would touch each other and she thought it was funny and she would giggle and i would giggle and you know and that was a part of the guilt for me was that not knowing it was bad and it was wrong i enjoyed it because it was fun but she right. would, um, she was, she was having an affair with my dad, with with another man. <clears throat> she would come over. She would lock me in a cold garage with the lights off for hours. Then the guy she was sleeping with afterwards would tell me that if I said anything, he would kill my father. And me not knowing that that was just talk, I wouldn't say anything. Right. And then, you know, on top of that, my father he would come home from work and my stepmother would say that I had done things or misbehaved. So I don't know if you'd ever experienced it, but your parents, he would put a, he'd draw a circle on the wall and tell me to stand on my tiptoes and put my nose in the circle. And I would have to stand there for the time he got home until it was time for bed. And Whoa. I got really good at school because he would, 
Um, if I got a word wrong, I would get a hit with the belt. Um, but the worst, yeah, the humiliating part for me was um, I had a problem with my uh, the ureter tube that connects your kidney and your bladder. Well, mine was blocked on one side. So I was six, seven years old, and I was still wetting the bed. And I used to make the bed up without saying anything because I knew I would get in trouble. But one day my stepmother found it. So she, six years old, she puts me in a diaper. She sends me outside and tells me to go hug the stop sign all day. So I'm standing outside six years old with nothing but a diaper on. My friends are seeing me. Other parents are seeing me, adults in the neighborhood. And it was the reason why I never spoke to anybody about, about anything was because no one stopped. No one ever said, are you okay? Where are your parents? What's going on? You know, you're a little too old to be in a diaper. And you were just left there just, alone. Yeah. And then once the day was over, I would, I was brought in. I was given another whooping. Um, I was put in the bathtub. I was cleaned up. I was gotten, they got me dressed. Then they had the nerve to look at me and say, we love you. And then they took me to the fair. So it was just, they, they were constantly messing with my head. Wow. And, and it just. That it was just on your, off. that was on your father's side. Right. My father and my stepmother. Mm -hmm. And it just, it, that, that's the way my life was for about two years. How does a kid and deal with that? How did you process that back then? I, I, you know, I just, I don't know how I survived. I mean, there were times when, um, you know, my, my mother's, my stepmother got in trouble from a neighbor at some point because I had told them I was hungry and she never gave me breakfast. But um, she would put, I don't know if it was her or if it was her and my father, but there was always a, a a padlock on the cupboard so I couldn't get any food she would give me this little tiny thing because I was living with my half sister and half brother as well so I would get up in the mornings give them their bottles change them burp them I mean I was six years old and then I would race out to get on the bus and I remember one day um, I was running out and I didn't tie my shoes because I was in a hurry and I stepped in mud because it had been raining and my foot came out of the shoe and I got mud all over my shoe and I remember getting on the bus and saying to myself I wasn't you know very spiritual that I was a baby but um, I remember telling myself that I wished that you know I could die before I came home because I just couldn't deal with another moment of that and you know she would and my stepmother and abusers, they're really, they're really sneaky. They don't do stuff when other people are watching and knowing that I'm not going to say anything, it just kind of gave them, you know, kind of carte blanche to do what they wanted. And, and even one time my, um, my stepmother got mad at me and put some clothes in a couple of paper bags and threw me out of the house and said, go away. And I was always, I was a good kid. I didn't misbehave. I didn't tear things up. I was, and knowing, even though I was told to leave and I, I wanted to go to my grandparents' house, which is my dad's mother, mm -hmm. I couldn't go because it required me across the street. So what did I do all day long? I walked around the block. 
because I knew I wasn't allowed to cross the street. And eventually I just set the bags down in the driveway. And of course I got in big trouble when my father got home and I had to go apologize. And for something that really you didn't even understand why no. you, you were in trouble for the for, in the first place. No, I didn't. I just, I was just, you know, I was, I was always, you know, a loving kid who just wanted to make people happy, which I think comes along with it, with the, you know, that way of life. You want to make people happy so they don't get angry at you. Mm-hmm. But it just, it never worked out. Um, eventually, I went to live with my mother and my new stepfather, the one she met in the hospital. But, uh, and I never saw that woman again. I don't even know where she is. Um, but, you know, at this point, I don't really care. But I just, I was glad to get away. But I walked into an even bigger situation. Um, my stepfather, he had, um, his mother had mental issues. And looking back on it, I kind of think that he did too. But he was extremely, he, he was very abusive. There was, a, um, at first, I guess things were okay. But eventually he, um, uh, for instance, we had been cleaning our boat. We had a, we had a speed boat. We were cleaning it and waxing it and getting it ready for whatever. But he, um, he had told me that evening it had gotten dark and he said, go out and bring in this garbage can. And I didn't, I didn't know where it was. It come to find out it was on top of the boat, but being, you know, eight years old, I, in the dark, how am I going to see a garbage can that's on top of a boat that's on a trailer? Well, he got so angry at me. He came outside and he threw me across the yard. And, um, unfortunately there was, um, the dog we had German shepherds and they had been chained up in the um, front yard well that was my punishment he, he he beat me with the dog's chain and that's where I ended up getting the rib broken and but I never said anything never said anything just wow. went in the house went to my room um, he was always terrorizing us he would throw chairs through windows and doors and he um, I was still wetting to bed at that point because I hadn't had the surgery. He would grab me um, by my appendages. One time he grabbed me by my genitals and drug me to the bathroom and threw me in the bathtub. Jesus. Because, you know, I, I just, I just, I don't understand how someone can be cruel like that to a child, but especially someone that's defenseless. But, and there were times when he would start start on me with a belt and I'd be crawling through the house and he would just be following me and and it was um and it was just one of those things to where it got so bad that you just kind of your mind kind of leaves mm-hmm. just to protect yourself. Yeah. Yep. But um he was he was really bad and the, the worst that ever got uh my grandmother had come to visit, which my mother's mother and he was being real intense and throwing a fit. And I remember my grandmother had thrown this huge ashtray at him and it went through the front, the storm door in the front. That's and a he lot. Came and he came at her and my mother and grandmother had pulled the guns out of the cabinet at that point and she shot between his legs. Whoa. And I was standing in the living room. And of course I was scared because, you know, there's just guns out. And uh, we were always told not to touch them, so I knew they were bad. 
And um, she told him that if he didn't stop, that the next time she wasn't going to miss. And I was like, and I, my grandmother was kind of like the Boston family. He never, he was afraid of her. Right. It's funny. He he would pick on my mother and me, but he was afraid of her. And I, it was it was Saturday. It was the day before Easter, and we um, were getting ready to go to bed. And those little kits that you get where you dye the eggs, and they got these little stands you put them in, and they put them on the the nightstand. Yes. Well, I remember that night, my mother she was sitting there doing that in the chair next to my bed, with a loaded shotgun in her lap. Wow. And th that's how I went to sleep. And the next day I got up and there was a big Easter basket on my dresser and everything was fine that day. But it was like, how do you, how do you, how do you make that, you know, the connection between like the negative, violent, abusive part and then to wake up in the morning, like everything's cool, fine and dandy. It's oh, I know. such a mind fuck. Mm -hmm. and it was and he would sit and hold me after he would you know beat me chasing me through the house would sit and hold me in his lap and we'd watch tv and he'd tell me how much he loved me so and you would probably answer back i love you too <laughs> oh absolutely out of because fear i knew he i knew he was in a good mood and i didn't want to mess it up right because you know we i was home alone with him because even though it was the 70s my mother she still had a job yeah my stepdad had a good job. I mean, she didn't have to work, but she wanted to get away. No doubt. He had abused her so much that um, one Saturday we were sitting, I was sitting watching television and the ambulance came. She took a whole bottle of Valium. She was trying to kill herself. And I remember the, the paramedics carrying her out. One had her feet, one had her arms, and she was unconscious. And I thought I'd lost my mother, but I was sad at the same moment that I was, I felt safe because she was gone. My grandmother was there and I you, knew that he wasn't going to touch me as long as she was there. Right. So it was, um, you know, I was, I was glad she was there, but you know, I don't remember how long it was before my mother came back. Um, it must not have been too long. I don't remember her being gone for any length of time. I don't think there was a treatment involved. Um, I think yeah. she just went to the hospital, recovered, and came home. But um, the last, the last thing that happened with him was we had they had sold their house and we had moved to an apartment. And I was outside playing, and all of a sudden the door opened, and I saw my mother come running out, and my stepfather was chasing her. Well, he had knocked her down was she was face down he was pulling her clothes off he was beating her with his fist i mean she was five five and he was six four he was a huge he was he was as big as i am and all i remember was i just i just took off running because my football coach i played football he lived on the other side of the building and i took off running ran as fast as i could kept looking behind me thinking that he was coming after me Mm -hmm. Ran upstairs, beat on the door. Um, it was my coach and my best friend lived there. They opened the door and I said, please help. My dad's killing my mother. And my friend's mom, she um, she got me there. And he ran around and stopped it. And the next thing I know, I mean, there's police everywhere. He's being arrested. Um, 
my mom was there. She was, she had to put on something else because he had ripped her top off of her outside. And uh, once he got taken away and after that, I mean, I never saw him again. Later, I found out that um, he had passed away about five years ago. I mean, every person I'm talking about, they've all passed away. And that was, I was about 11 or so, which is, which was pretty much the last, the last time anyone had ever physically hit me. But then I hadn't even begun to deal with all of that. Right. I mean, my mother had gotten married again and, you know, God loves my mother, but she had a really, she had really a bad taste in picking men. Yeah. Bad judgment. <laughs> yeah. She, she couldn't pick a good guy to save herself. Well, she married this last guy and I was probably 15 at the time. And he had, um, he tried to manhandle me and I was, I was as tall as he was. I was like five, eight, five, nine at the time. And I remember I was like, something kind of clicked to where I was like, you can't do this anymore. And I remember no, picking no. him up and I was getting ready to throw him through the picture window of our house. And I heard my grandmother in the background going, Michael, put him down. And you know, she was the boss. He was, yeah. So, but he moved out right after that. Um, he had slept around on my mother. He was in the Navy and had traveled the world and slept with a woman everywhere he went. He confessed to her. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was, I had never really dealt with things. I mean, I know my behavior was, was based on what I had been through. I had become very um, masochistic to say I was very abusive to myself, even with, you know, relationships and, I would always put myself in a position or in a mindset that, you know, I was just a piece of, I wasn't, it wasn't a human. I wasn't, it wasn't important. And well, that rips your value. It rips the value rate out of your being uh, to go through those type of experiences at a, such a young age and not processing it and understanding it. And I mean, back then, the 70s, uh, you know, uh, even the 80s, I mean, there was still taboo. It was still not talked about all this, you know, mental abuse, physical abuse, uh, domestic violence. There, was, there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, uh, sensitivity for it in society. It wasn't talked about. No, and that's, the, and seeing what I saw and how there were people that could see me suffering. But nobody ever said anything. Nobody ever tried to help me. I mean, later on in life, I talked to my grandmother, my dad's mother, and I had told her about that instance where I was walking around the block. And she um, she says, well, if you would have called me, I would have come got you. Well, how am I supposed to call you? I'm not even in the house. You know, it's, you find these things out later. But then I never told teachers. I never told my, my principal. I mean, if I had done that now, they would be in prison. Yeah, out of fear. You, 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 would have, you didn't say it because you, you, you were fearful. Yeah, I was afraid it was going to make it worse. You didn't know any better. Right. It's not your so, fault. <laughs> yeah, and then we, um, well, after my mother um, had divorced my um, second stepfather, uh, we had moved back to the small town that I was from. And I didn't fit in with those people. It was a small country town, about 3,000 3, people. In uh, like, Michigan? Yeah. No, in, um, in Indiana. Indiana. Okay. There were, um, there were about 80-some people 
in my uh, graduating class. It was a real small kind of hip town. And I remember I would get off the bus and I would get letters. I'd check the mail and the students were so mean they would send me letters telling me to, you know, either die or leave town. I had no friends in high school. Um, I mean, by the time I graduated, I had been to 18 different schools. I was always the outsider. And when I graduated and moved out on my own, hmm. everything seemed fine for several years. I was kind of pushed everything in the back of my mind and was trying to, you know, lead Function. a normal a life as I could. Yeah. Well, I had hurt my back and I had had back surgery and I was taking lots of pain medication and everything was fine until my mother got sick. She was, she was diagnosed with cancer and she eventually died. She died on Mother's Day of 2002. Okay. And can, after can, that. Can we just get into, because I know you alluded to, and I don't, I mean, I don't want to, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot to be talked about, but you alluded to that sort of the sexual games with your mother. Did that end there? Like, or did it continue straight through the years? Oh, no, that was with my stepmother. With your stepmother? With my stepmother. And Sorry. that ended when... That when, person, um, yeah. yeah. When I went back to live with my mother and my Correct. stepfather. And then Correct. my father ended up divorcing her and I never saw okay. her again. Okay, perfect. Well, that's good. At least, at least you could trust your mother. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, I never all those things that happened to me and I don't hold her accountable for anything as far as doing anything because she was I never victim. shared anything with her. Yeah. And she was a victim as well. Right. My mother and father both died. never knowing what my stepmother did. I, I really? With anybody. I never told them because I knew how it would affect them. My mother would have been heartbroken knowing that she couldn't do anything about it. And, you know, I would always, Sound, be happy when she would come over and bring clothes or whatever it was to come visit but i never told her gotcha. never alluded to it never expressed it to her okay but uh she had gotten sick and she had passed away and i um that's when i started wanting to wanting to numb myself because mm -hmm. that was kind of a last straw for me because my father had passed away in 91 but uh oh i wanted to tell you something he um he was always drunk Mm -hmm. He was abusive, but the last two years of his life, he had become sober, and I had a really good relationship with him. Oh, we really? Would have mend fences, and but the thing is, he had never ever told me that he loved me. Okay, because he was fall down drunk, falling down drunk. He just wasn't that type of person. And the night before he died, we were supposed to go over the next day and do something for my grandmother. And we were talking, and um, he would always say, you too, baby, or something. I was always his baby, even though I was in my 20s. And I remember telling him that, um, that, okay, I'll come over the next morning. And I went to end the call, and I said, I love you, Dad. And he said, I love you too, baby. And that was the first time he'd ever said it, and he died four hours later. Wow. So um, I got that resolution from him. So that was uh, that was huge for me. Uh, still hard to talk about, but yeah, no doubt it's hard to start to hear. I'm tearing up here. <laughs> so I just wow, I really miss you know I, I miss my dad, and I know he had it older, and now I realize he had a disease, and I saw the difference when he was drinking and what he wasn't drinking. And the man who wasn't drinking would have never laid a hand on me. 
he was right. a loving person. Well, you know, you can console yourself. Like, it's like you say that that chapter almost resoluted itself when he, all he needed to do is say three words for yeah. love you, baby. Um, and you know, that puts a lot of, it puts a lot of worth and value into knowing at least knowing that it was driven by an issue that he had not you had nothing to right. do with you you were the victim of course unfortunately so you had to process that later in life and deal with it and it's really unfortunate because the victims often are the ones that pay the heavier price but to at least hear that wow that must be so beneficial to the process of healing that wound specifically. Oh, absolutely. I was able to forgive him because of that. That would, that helped to initiate that forgiveness process. Everything that happened, everything that happened for all those young developing years, you were able to forgive him because of four words. That's powerful. Yeah. He was, he was my dad and yeah, you know, and, and, my grandfather, his dad was the one that got him to drinking. He wanted a drinking buddy. And, you know, my dad was, my mother would tell me that when they went high school together, my dad was a sweet, quiet, shy person. And, you know, he, he, he wasn't shy once when he got older and stopped drinking, but he was, uh, he was a real joker. He was, he liked to clown around. He just, he loved me for me. And, he just, he was such, I, that two years means more to me than anything. Yeah, just a monster when drinking. It it can ruin uh, somebody's life. And especially, in, again, to go back 30, you know, 30, 35, 40 years, times were different than today. Um, you know, there was less education out there about speaking out. There was, oh, there sure. was just a lot less tools out there for for a child and for victims to be able to, to utilize doesn't make it easier today to go through something like this, uh, especially when you're trapped in it. But at least today we have the tools and we know that there are options if we can manage to sneak away for a minute. Oh, for sure. And, and now because there's so much education, a, a teacher or a counselor would have, would have been like, are you okay? Yeah. They would have seen how thin I was. They would have seen, you know, my, my stepmother would actually put a bow on my head and that's how she would cut my hair. I looked, I looked like some little thin homeless rat. I mean, it was, I wasn't a healthy kid. Right. And some, now someone would have asked about that. What's wrong with you? They would have had a conference with my parents. Something would have happened, but not back then. Nobody ever talked about it. Nobody knew anything about it really. It just, it was something you just kept quiet. I mean, I mean, we're raised by baby boomers and that's, they were just dealt it. But shit, it stays just, with you forever, doesn't it? Yeah, just suck it up and keep going. And Man. But, um, <laughs> you gotta, it, it's just suck it up and keep going. It is the motto, you know, of the, of the baby boom generation uh, because nobody spoke about anything, but what a bad motto. Oh, I how know. Many, how many people have been messed up psychologically mentally physically because of that model you just shh, shh, you just you just just deal with it yeah. that's it yeah just deal with it no 
You know, don't, 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 don't fire him up. Don't fire him up. Don't find reasons to fire him up. Well, it's not me. You know what I mean? I'm a victim. Shh, 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 shh. Don't say that word. You know what I mean? Like, fuck. <laughs> Excuse my language, but man. And I was, I was so, um, I was one of those, I was really determined. I was never going to do that kind of thing. I was never going to, you know, be abusive. I was never going to be an alcoholic and, you know, and I mean, I never became abusive, but, uh, I yell at my dogs every now and then, but that's about it. <laughs> Did but, you have children? Uh, no. 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 I just... So, yeah, where where did life bring you after that? Uh, let's let's keep going, uh, if you don't mind, into kind of into the debriefing story. I, I assume the eventually the healing started, and but you did get have a substance abuse for a while uh, with alcohol. Right. I had, um, <clears throat> I had got addicted to painkillers. This was okay. after my mother passed away. Mm-hmm. And I got to the point I had, um, I attempted suicide twice. Um, the first time I was, I had just filled a prescription of muscle relaxers and a uh, sleeping medication. Mm-hmm. I went and got something to eat, relaxed, took both bottles of 60 pills. Figured that should have been enough to take anybody away. Mm. And I remember falling asleep watching the movie Big, where they're dancing on the piano at FAO Schwartz. Yeah. And I thought, well, great, that's a nice great movie to go by. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> About five hours later, I woke up gasping for air. And I remember looking around and seeing that I was still around. Mm-hmm. And I just, I broke down. I started crying. I was like, I can't even do that right. And it was, it was, I was so disappointed that I was still around. Mm. And... I even tried it one more time. Um, I had, besides those two prescriptions, I had a new prescription of um, painkillers. I thought taking all of those would work. <clears throat> Somebody found me, called an ambulance, took me to the hospital, did whatever they do to reverse that type of thing. Um, Brought the you doctors, had, yeah, the doctors had known what I had done. Yeah, but did they do anything? They just said. We're not giving you any more medication, but you have to leave tomorrow. Yeah, you got to go. Discharge. You let somebody out that tried to hurt themselves. And great, great system. <laughs> oh, I know. And it was, um, it was really hard to hear because I was like, even when I'm screaming that loud that I need someone to help me, nobody was listening. Wow. And that, you know, that just created more of that bad behavior, that abusive behavior toward myself. Um, and so we're talking was this what had been in your 20s and your 30s this was uh no at this point i was um after going through a long period where i was fine this was i was 40 okay 40 and you were fine meaning me fine meaning uh working jobs uh doing your right i was functioning like in your 20s and 30s you were functioning had relationships uh yeah all this Uh, all that yeah, I was doing fine, and um, when my mother died, it just kind of went south, and that's when I had um, I had actually decided to, to to move back to my hometown because I wanted to be around what I was familiar with because mm-hmm. I spent most of my life there at that point. Yep. So uh, that happened, and then I um, I had moved, end up starting over and moving to California where my family was from. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd had contact with an aunt of mine in Michigan for a long time. We were always really close. We were like seven, eight years apart. 
So we were like siblings. Right. Well, before I left to go stay with her, because we were going to have a place together, she, because um, LA is really hard. LA is for young people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's for young people. It's not for old people. It's just, you know, I'm spending two hours a day commuting. I mean, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. But uh, I had hurt my hip before I left. So what happened? The doctor prescribed a big old bottle of pills. Mm. I thought, you know, I'm going to be good. I know what happens. I'm going to be fine. Well, before you know it, I was a month's prescription was lasting me about 10 days. And I was taking, you know, morphine and, and Norco and all this stuff. Well, I was, I had started grad school at that time, or I was doing my undergrad, graduated. In accounting. Getting, huh? In accounting? No, no. In, um, I had got my undergrad in applied psychology. Okay. Yeah, I want nothing to do with accounting. It's just something I did. Okay, I'm you not used an, to I'm not an accounting that. person at all. Okay. <laughs> so I had, um, I started working on my, uh, my master's and I had gotten, I had lost my apartment because I was, I had gotten sick with a lot of things. So I was having to pay co-pays for MRIs and things like that. So I ended up going, staying with a friend of mine. I couldn't stay there any longer. So me and my dogs were living out of a car that I had just purchased. And it just, it was too overwhelming. I couldn't leave my dogs at work in the car. I went, went, stayed at a motel, told my, um, my doctor, I'd run out of medication early and she's like, I can't help you. You have to go to treatment. So I ended up going to treatment and that's when I really started to, and this was two years ago, when I really started to understand, um, what was behind the addiction and why I was doing it and, and trying to understand and deal with the mental issues that I had. And it's, it was, it was a really good experience. It put me on the right path. I started school again, um, but the bad thing is when I went back to work, people that, that I work with didn't see me any different. They saw me as that person. Um, a, a new boss came. He was told why I was gone. I kept being sent, kept getting sent for drug tests. Keep being asked if I was doing drugs. I mean, it was. And I didn't, it wasn't, I never didn't do, a, you know, illegal drugs. It was just a prescription, which I didn't take anymore. But mm-hmm. no one could understand that. So I just felt I wasn't getting any support. So that's why I decided to move to Nevada with the people I went to recover, went to treatment with. And the, the mentors that I had were all here. And, and it was, it was a really hard process. But what really clicked for me and made it possible to to get where I am now to where I'm focused on what I'm doing is and I know it sounds weird but I believe I really believe that you know I was allowed to survive all that without telling anybody without sharing it with anybody so that I could help other people who can't get through it by themselves yeah and what really turned it around for me was to to have gratitude for all those bad experiences because Whoa. it, you know, it it gave it gave everything that happened to me uh, a purpose, a reason. I and mean, I, like like when I told you when I had gotten burned and went to the hospital, and that's when my mother met my stepfather, who was so abusive to me. I just felt like it. I had to believe that it's all come together and things happened the way they did, so that I could be in an ideal position and do what my purpose is in life. 
because I mean, there are times, and it, I know this sounds weird, but sometimes I thought about, you know, I'm just going to do what I want. I want to, you know, major in physics and work for NASA or something, do something fun and cool and just kind of let everything go. But I kid you not, when, when I have those thoughts in my head, I will have dreams of children everywhere. Mm. And, they're, and I'll look at them and try to interact with them in my dreams. And all they'll ever say to me is, hurry up, we're waiting for you. Because that's who I want to work with, are the, the little ones. Right. That have been through experiences that I have. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of snaps me back and I end up waking up kind of panicked. But um, it's, it's just, I can't, I can't focus on anything, but you know, anything different anymore. It's always about what I'm doing, where I'm going. And I know it's the right thing because every semester when I take, it's never a struggle. It just flows. It's easy. I don't have to study a lot. It's just, it's, it's, it's like the universe is telling me, this is what you're supposed to do. So we're going to make it easy, easier for you to get there. Right. But I, um, so you're studying in, uh, you're currently studying. Yes, I'm finishing. Uh, I'm finished, going to finish, be finishing up my master's in social work, and then I'm going to go on and work on a clinical psychology doctorate after that. Got a couple schools picked out, though, it's, but those programs are really hard to get into. Although when you get into them, they don't cost you anything, and they nice. pay you every month to do it, so because you can't work. Right. So, you know, out of 400 people, they might pick eight people, so you got to do really well. So, well, But things are going well in, in your school right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been getting straight A's. I mean, I don't have any problems with school. But, uh, I mean, being off and not working because of the pandemic has made it easier. So, but yeah. Uh, uh, so you were holding a job plus, plus studying part-time? No, I was going full-time. Wow. Even when I did my undergrad, I was going full-time. And just getting, getting, get, having time, a bit of time to, to work, to, to, to obviously yeah, pay bills and... Yeah, I would work during the day and then I would study some, I'd come home, have dinner and I would study some time till 11, 12 o'clock at night. Yeah. Because when I was in my undergrad, it was, you know, four classes, sometimes five. Now it's four classes. Okay. But it's, uh, it's a lot of writing and that's something that I'm, I'm pretty good at. Okay. So I've gotten better technically. I used to get in trouble a lot, but, but I, you know, it's mostly writing. So you just, it's paper after paper and I like research. So it's, it, it comes easier for me now, but. And is it a university you're at? Yeah, it's um, it's it's online, of course, but it's um, it's through uh, LSU. Okay, that's where I'm doing it. They had an online program. I could have, if I got to start sooner, I started in March. It's it's like it's a rolling enrollment, but uh, if I would have waited to go to UNLV here, I would have had to have waited until August. They still wouldn't be in school. Right. So this way, I you know, knocked out two semesters, almost ten classes in that time I would have had to have waited. So that's awesome. It's, um, it, it's better. I'm getting closer. So, I mean, if I w- wouldn't have gone to treatment and everything would have been fine back East, I mean, I would have graduated already this past May, but then who would I have been? Yeah. Well, yeah. I would not have been the person who could have, could have done that because I wasn't all there. My head was foggy. I was still doing lots of, you know, taking lots of medication. It just, it's, it's so much better now. It's been almost two years and it just, it, it feels so good. You can really, you can feel it. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think so much more clearly and 
and it's just I'm still really have excited. a good still have a good support system around you. Or I do. I have two people that I talk to all the time whenever I get frustrated or whenever I get uh, have kind of an epiphany about something like when I you know yeah break started to feel started to feel gratitude for things yeah I texted the person um, her name is D and I texted her and I said you know what I've really started looking at things a different way and she says that's wonderful that's how I look at it and get through it. and I said why didn't you tell me and she's like well you had to figure it out on your own and I was like okay <laughs> but it was it, it was good because it's, it's all part of the healing process and it is to be able to you know get to that point I just I can't feel any more you know lucky and privileged than I do because I look back at where I was and the behavior I was engaged in and and what I went through and it just I don't know I mean I look at that little boy and I think wow he was so brave I don't know if I could be that brave but it's I look back at that little kid and I'm like it's just it's amazing what he's been through helps you find the strength yeah he, he survived and and it just and I felt that denying everything and not dealing with it was this is kind of weird too, but it was being disrespectful to that child. That's true. I, like I like the notion was that child was slowly dying on the inside of me. And by opening up and sharing and talking about it, I'm respecting him and and he's getting healthier and he's he's starting to thrive and be and and given what he's always needed that, you know, other people and me would refuse to give him for so long. Hmm. You know, it's kind of weird talking about yourself in the third person. No, 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 no. It makes total sense. And uh, really, it's a great, great philosophy analogy to have. And you, it's cool to see it. It's cool to hear it from you because you're literally living that. Like you can look at that third person like you say you can look at that child and say man like even i mistreated that child by not healing or not working through the process of understanding and forgiveness and all this because you know that when you started that healing process slowly painfully but surely it gradually began giving worth to that young boy who was perseverant and resilient and all he wanted was to love himself and be loved and understand peace within. Right. And I was, um, the first time I'd experienced that, it was, I'm actually working with an old professor. I want to, uh, I'm working on outlines right now to kind of write about my story. Nice. I, and, I thought of that earlier since you, you said, I love writing. Well, hello. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's what I'm doing. I'm getting, and I'm, I'm basing it on um, that, um, that ACEs test. Because each question is about different things. Yeah, you were um, telling me that pre-show. Can you explain a little bit what it is for our listener, for my listeners? Um, what it is is called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, and what it does is that it has there's ten questions, and it'll ask you questions like, uh, "Have you lived in a household where there's been domestic violence? Have you lived in a household where you were physically harmed? Um, you lived in a household where anyone has been incarcerated?" questions like that mm -hmm. and I was able to answer them all except for the one about the incarceration because I never lived in a house where well I mean my my stepdad but once that happened we left so that wasn't an yeah. issue for me yeah yeah so I want to base it on those things and 
the funny thing is, um, once I sent everything to my old professor back east, I'd had a dream where I was running through the house and I was opening windows and letting light in, and I kept seeing myself in the mirror and and I got to, and I was opening closet doors. I wanted everything to be out in the open, basically in my head. And I got to the last room and I didn't see my reflection. And I remember um, looking in the mirror and going, I want to see myself. And there was this small little thing that was thin and emaciated and looked like it was about ready to die. And it kind of hit me that that was the person I had been denying all the time. What a process. Yeah. And I had this conversation where I was apologized and said, I would never do that, you know, again. And I'll take care of you from here. Right. And it just, the eyes just started to brighten up and it was, and then, you know, I wake up, but it was, uh, just doing, just making that first step was sharing with my professor. And I was afraid I was going to scare her away. I mean, she has, she's a social worker and I was, I didn't hear from her for a few days. I'm like, are you okay with this? It's like, yeah, I'm totally fine. It's all, it's all right. Hmm. Then we had a two hour conversation on the phone where she helped me to put me on the right track to organize things because I really didn't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I see that other people have done it and I'm like, you know what? I know it's helped. I know it helps. I really do. So it's all that, that whole process has really helped me, you know, get to where I am today. And, you know, I, I feel good about myself and, you know, I can actually smile and laugh and, and mean it and not just be a, you know, just for show. Mm-hmm. And it, it feels really good. I mean, I mean, I, I can be I'm pretty silly. I mean, you've probably seen some of my videos on there where I'm just being goofy. Yeah. But it's just, that that's a real thing. And the thing is, is that I don't care if anybody likes it or not. Just I'm just being fun. true to myself and being authentic and, and you know being the person that i should have should have been and 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 like i said i don't regret anything that's happened because i might not be a person might not be one be the person i am today but two i might not be a person that who i am now would be very proud of and so i'm I'm very fortunate to have survived those things and and been put in a position to where i can use them for for something good there's much much worth to that and yes. uh, to, uh, would you would you agree with me this like in the conversations that I have and when it pertains to mental health especially uh, abuse expression and again I had that conversation with Dylan Sessler um, just the other day and he said you know he he talked about expression like expressing yourself like it assume, like okay, so when you were a, a boy, you weren't able to express because it was different than uh, everything. But later in life, when once you finally were able to express yourself, is that not the first step to healing or the best feeling in the healing journey? Doesn't it not take off so much weight when you start expressing and talking about your life and your situation? Oh, for sure, because it, it it also helps you to, you know, accept yourself as a result of all of that and to, to be like, you know, I'm, you're good, you're okay. And, and to share that, it just, it, it helps, it helps the process. It really does. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you're perfect. It just means that you're still, you're still a work in progress, 
but you've done a lot of progress and you've done a lot of, a lot of healing and, and a lot of forgiving for, well, uh, you've done a lot of forgiving, uh, et cetera. And basically like you're at a place now where you, by talking about it, having talked about it has helped you understand your whole situation to yourself, make progress and step into finding a balance. Are you ever going to heal fully from the scars? No, sir, you won't. But are you going to be able to find balance and happiness and turn it into something positive in being able to help others and make, and at the same time, helping others and all that process gives you that confidence and that joy of life. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it never goes away. It's a part of you forever, but it's, I think with every person that you help, it heals just a little bit more because you're, you're saving that person from, you know, whether going through it as, as, as much or you're giving them insight to where they can start getting help for themselves sooner than they would have. Or, you know, eventually I want to be the person that's actually going to help them get better, you know, on a real level. As, yeah, know, as on a professional level. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, it's, um, it never goes away. It's always there. And I, I still catch myself reacting in ways based on those experiences. And, you know, I have to catch myself and be like, it's okay. You know, it's, it's, that's, it, it's going to be fine. And, you know, cause I can be short tempered. I really can. And, and there's some things that kind of really set me off sometimes, but you know, I have to just kind of step back and take a breath and be like, you know what? It's fine. You're, you're, you're not in that situation anymore because before I really started the process of healing, I would react that same fight or flight in situations where it wasn't necessary. Mm. And I've never been diagnosed with PTSD ever, Okay. but there, you know, times when, you know, I'd behave in a certain way to where I would perceive something as being a threat when it wasn't, it was benign. Correct. But, um, and you know, I would get physical about it too. Um, we were in a club one time and when I was younger and there was something wrong with the pyrotechnics and the building was going to be fine, but I was elbowing people in the face to get out of the building because I was like, there, there's no way. Yeah. You know, because I had experienced the burn before. So, you know, I was like, I'm not going here again. Yeah. And then, you know, it ended up being absolutely fine. But just something triggered in me that, you know, scared me so bad that flight. I was like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. But um, those those are don't happen very often anymore. <laughs> it's more of a thinking process, not a reacting one. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's much better. And, you know, and I owe it all to, you know, working through those issues and you know going to treatment and understanding and and figuring out why i've done the things i've done and and it's 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 really good it feels really good you know to have that enlightenment like that that's awesome what a great story to share thank you so much for being uh <clears throat> candid and open about that and i'm sure my listeners are gonna appreciate um your story and your growth as well especially your growth and the end result where it's heading towards a direction that seems like you're uh you're gonna be uh, making an impact in so many people's lives so um i salute you i i tip my hat to you for uh, you. hanging in there and just being strong throughout it and through and just being strong through it all and you know what it's it's not it's not an easy road guys it's not an easy road out there 
Um, we all have a story. We all have issues. Um, and often our issues lead us to having mental health challenges. Doesn't mean we're, it doesn't mean we've lost it. And maybe we have lost it, but there's always a way to bring it back. If you have faith in yourself, if you have faith in your soul, and you have to have that, it's not a matter of a question. It's not if you have it, it's you have to have faith in yourself because humans are resilient. We heal both on the physical and on the mental. I know it's tough. Listen to the story from today. There's nothing easy about that story. But look at the beautiful, um, the way that things have bloomed for Michael. And be inspired by your story to turn it into something positive. And to use your insight, experience, knowledge, and wisdom in a way that can help yourself for first and foremost. And in turn, help others. That's the key of good vibes. Good vibes equals balance. And that is the key is to first be good with you and help others in this place we call the world filled with humanity. Humans that are walking around, half know where they're going, half don't know where they're going, half are confused. Some, of them, some people know. I'm just ranting on now, and I'll probably edit this out. But at the end of the day, humanity is now, so make it happen for you. There's too much going on in life in, in, in today's generation with science and technology. It's going so fast. Take a minute. Take a break. Look within and heal. Make yourself better for tomorrow. Michael is a prime example of that. And he's a prime example of exactly the reason I wanted to start a podcast. You are an inspiration, Michael. Thank you. Um, I love meeting strangers like you. You enlighten my day. You give me hope in humanity. And you give me hope in myself to continue to heal and to continue moving forward. Well, that's the hope is what it's about because, yeah, you have to have hope and, and have faith that tomorrow's going to be better. And you just you have to believe in that because... If not, it's it's so much more difficult and so much harder. And when you give up, nothing good comes of it. You have to I keep agree. pushing forward and trying to be better and and being a version of yourself that you can be proud of and and use what's happened to you to, to help other people so that they can do the same. I agree 100%. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure uh, meeting you, and uh, we'll uh, we'll stay in touch. If you, I will put um, I will put some contact information for Michael in the description of the show. Uh, follow Michael; he's on TikTok as well. He tells a little bit of his story there. Plus, he has a lot of fun with it, and um, so you y'all can follow him there. But I will put uh, some information on if you want to uh, follow him or get a hold of him if. Uh, if uh, anything, you've got comments, questions about the show, 
uh, don't hesitate to contact me. Or uh, like I said, I'll be uh, putting Michael's information in there if you want to contact him. Michael, once again, man, it was, uh, it was a pleasure. And um, I can only tell you, I want to I wanna just offer you all of my good vibes for the day that I was going to give out. I'm sending them to you um, to continue your beautiful journey into healing and into uh, becoming a professional in the domain of helping others. It's pretty Thank awesome. Thank you. I'll take all of it. I'm giving it, man. It's all for you today. Because <laughs> I know... I know that, uh, you know, the other guests that I'm interviewing today are probably going to give me some good energy because it's going to be a different situation. So this one here was heavy duty. I'm sending you my good vibes so you can continue on your, uh, on your positive swing. It's a beautiful thing. It's very inspiring. And uh, right now you're the man. I'm sending you all the good vibes, man. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks again for tuning in, guys, to the Good Vibes Show. We'll see you next time. I'm there six days a week. Subscribe, share, find me on Facebook, find me on Instagram, find me on Twitter, find me on TikTok. I'm everywhere and I'm here to stay because I want to create the good vibes worldwide. Take care. That's a wrap.